Hydriva Mofos, you're probably aware that I've been working flat out on our social media presence to try to expand our community of Driva Mofos globally. I've been posting tons of free content to keep you inspired, driven, and working towards your goals. So if you haven't already followed and subscribed to all my social media channels, please make sure you do so as I post different content on different platforms. The links are available in the description of this podcast down below. The more focused you are on your mission and your goals, the more you'll see challenge as enjoyable. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where I talk about the many lessons, learnings, and tools that I've learned along my journey from being the private mindset and mental performance coach to rich listers, successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, and more, all while running business and personal performance events for tens of thousands of people who want to get the best out of themselves and their lives. This is my way of helping more people to excel in life, build successful empires, and be the best that they can be. I hope you share and enjoy. This is a behind-the-scenes special series from a live training that I did with our Mojo Insiders group on enhancing self-discipline and staying empowered. These are eight powerful tips to create unconscious change. I hope you enjoy this three-part series. This is part two of this three-part series. Remember to share this episode if you enjoyed it, and you can also watch the whole interview live on our YouTube channel at MichaelMojo00 on YouTube. So when you're living outside of your values, you're unclear on your mission and you just set a goal, you'll see challenges being a nightmare, a pain in the ass, and you'll become frustrated, you'll become resentful, you'll get stressed out, and eventually you'll give up. So it's really, really important to make sure that those things are aligned first. If you go back to your Thrive Time folder and get really, really clear, especially the most updated Thrive Time, the last two years, if you go back over that manual, everything's there to help you win. Everything. I've used that with some of the top level, most elite people, and they still get great results. And we get some people who have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on personal development, and it blows their mind when I go through those tools because it works. I know that it works. I use them all the time. It works. So just go back and use those tools. You can use other tools and supplement things like meditation and, I don't know, fucking burning incense and shit. You can do whatever you want, right? They're all supplemental tools. The stuff that I teach at Thrive Time is the foundation of other stuff. If you don't get that right, the rest of your life will probably be pretty chaotic and you'll always be looking for something. All right, let's get into the eight tools because this is really important. These are the tools that are going to help you. So the first thing is tool number one. Okay, you might want to write these down somewhere. Tool number one is you want to establish why the goal is important for you. So if you want to create a change and you want to be more disciplined and you want to be more self-empowered, then my recommendation is after you've got clear with the values, the purpose and the mission and the visions and you've collected your visions, you've turned them into a mission, you've got your values right, your purpose will come off of your values and you go through what I teach at the updated Thrive Time. Then what you wanna do is you wanna grab a pen and paper and write down 102 reasons why the goal is important. What you're doing is you're creating neurological linking and what that's gonna do is it's gonna help you to fast track the benefits of wanting to change. If you don't do that, your brain is going to consistently clash with itself because you've got an old habit that's been established. Those circuits in your brain have been fired and wired probably 10, 20, 50, 100, 100,000 times. This is a process called Hebb's Law or Hebbian Theory. And what that states is that circuits in the brain that fire together, wire together. And every time it fires and wires, it creates something called a neuroassociation. So let's say you drink alcohol when you're a kid or when you're a teenager, you're with friends, your brain then links friendship with alcohol. You then go to a nightclub and you enjoy yourself and the music's cranking and you feel great and you're elated. Your brain links alcohol to that elation, to that excitement. 
then you're sitting down with a bunch of friends and you're sitting around a campfire, you have another drink of alcohol. Your brain links being calm and friendship and connectedness to alcohol. Then 30 years down the track, you're driving home from work, you've had a stressful day and your brain goes, man, I could just have a beer. I'd love a beer right now or I'd love a drink of alcohol. You don't actually want the alcohol. What you want is all the associations that your brain has associated with the alcohol. Because you can have alcohol and your brain goes, ah, elation from the nightclub when I was 18 years of age. The friendships, the connection, the sitting around the campfire, the chilling out. And so your brain's firing off all these circuits. Then one day you come along and you go, you know what, I'm just going to stop drinking. Your brain goes, do you reckon, motherfucker? I don't think that's going to be the case. Today that you're feeling good, let's not drink, okay, because we're feeling good. Two weeks later, you're off of you're on your no alcohol or your dry July or whatever bloody thing that people need these days to try and not drink or to change their habits. And you're stressed out. You're driving home from work and your brain goes, you know what I need? I need some friendship. I need some connection. I need to feel calm. I need to feel relaxed, but I also want to feel excited. I want to feel young. I want to feel youthful. And the easiest way to do that is to have some alcohol. So that's the reason why we get those cravings and those feelings. It's not the fact that we want the thing, because that's easy to change. It's all the associations that we've created with that thing that makes it so hard to change. But by writing 100 to 200 reasons why the new goal is important, every time you write a reason, you fire off a circuit in your brain. What you're doing now is you're creating a tug of war between the old habit and the new habit. And the more you fire and wire those circuits in your brain in the new habit by writing down reasons, the more your brain goes, ah, If I don't drink, I actually get better connection. If I don't drink, I'm more confident. If I don't drink, I can think more clearly. If I don't drink and I can think more clearly, now I can make more money. When I make more money, then I can have better holidays and so on and so forth. And so you just don't want to drink anymore. And so now you don't have this internal battle where your brain goes, you know what? I really want to drink. No, I shouldn't have a drink. No, I want to drink, but I don't really want to drink. You know what? I've committed to this goal. When you do that, you'll head fuck yourself out of, well, you stress yourself out. It just creates this massive, chaos inside your own mind. When that happens, I'll talk more about that in some of these other steps, but you essentially wear yourself down. Has anyone gone through that before where you try to change a habit and you just wear yourself down and it's just easy to just have the thing? So studies show that those who have clear and beneficial reasons for having a goal use different parts of their brain. MRI images show that the prefrontal or executive center activity is involved in clear reasoning. So when you're inspired and you have a fulfilled goal, your prefrontal cortex and executive center comes online, which is the most evolved part of the brain. And it governs your emotions. So when you have clear reasoning, and you're doing something that serves a purpose, you're using the most evolved part of the brain, you get more glucose, more oxygen, more blood flow into that part of the brain, and you can control your emotional states. Versus when you have an external goal, or a goal based on external factors, like you're wanting to prove something to somebody else, you want to prove something wrong, or you want to prove somebody else wrong, you're trying to avoid judgment or criticism from someone outside of yourself, maybe you've got some implanted values. When you're like that, and you're trying to change because of these external factors, or you just think it's a good idea, you use a part of the brain called the ventral striatum. And this is associated with rewards and desire. So when we're using the ventral striatum, what we do is we set a goal so that we can have a reward versus in the prefrontal cortex, we're working towards something meaningful. So tonight I'm doing this thing, this talk. To me, this isn't something that I feel like I have to do. It's something that I love to do. So I would assume that I'm getting more blood into my prefrontal cortex. I feel like I'm just inspired. This is something that I want to do. 
It's not something that I have to do and there's an external factor that's driving me. So it uses a different part of the brain. Where there are other things that I do during the week, like let's say it might be managing the finances and I've got to go back and do spreadsheets and put data in. That's something that I have to force myself to do. I could probably, if I linked it, it would probably make it a bit easier. But if I've got to do data entry or something like that, then my brain goes, I don't really want to do this and I can force myself to do it. But the problem with that is, is that it puts you into that reward center. When you're in the reward center, it also fires off impulses and desires. So normally what will happen is when I'm doing something like that, I'll start feeling more tired and more fatigued. When I'm more fatigued and tired, I will start craving things like chocolate or I start thinking about doing other stuff. And that's because my brain hasn't linked it enough to want to do it where I'm inspired. So please remember that the more you live your purpose, your values, your mission, and the more you set your life up to win where you're fulfilled, the more you're using the most evolved part of the brain, which governs and controls the rest of the brain structure. And what it will do is your energy will increase, you'll feel better about life, you won't burn out as much, you won't feel as tired, and you don't have these internal dialogue fights where you go, I really should be doing this, but I don't want to, and, and so on. Hey, Driven Mofos, if you ever want to have the video version of this podcast, which usually has more effects, visuals, graphs, and helps you to retain more of the information that I share, then check out my YouTube channel. I also share bonus in-depth training behind the scenes from some of our live events, plus interviews from some of the country's most successful people. So if you haven't already subscribed to my YouTube channel, then check it out via the link in the description of the podcast. Remember to subscribe to get the latest stuff. Tool number two is change your language. Language plays a massive factor in your self-discipline and your strategy for change and also staying empowered. And here's a little tip. This is something that I use that has made a massive difference. So there are two language patterns that I use that really help me a lot. The first one is, and that's okay. So for instance, I ate some chocolate and that's okay versus I ate some chocolate. Now I feel like shit. Why did I eat chocolate? You know, I shouldn't have eaten chocolate. Why did I fuck up again? Why did that happen? If you do that, you're going to throw yourself into a downhill spiral and it's going to reinforce the pattern. So, and that's okay, just reminds you it's okay. It's not that big a deal. It's fine. Let's move on. When you do that, you'll be able to get back into your habit creation or your change really, really quickly and you'll be more disciplined. So what normally happens, for instance, like if you go out and you order a, let's say you order a hamburger, but you're on a diet. You eat that hamburger and afterwards you feel like shit and you sit there and you think, oh, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. You know, why do I always do this stuff? Why do I always fuck up my goals? It shouldn't be like that. And now you're in this downhill spiral. Your language is poor. Your communication to yourself is poor and you're about to crash and burn. Then what most people do, and I know this pattern very intimately because this is one of the patterns that I've had to deal with for almost my whole entire life is that when you're in that downhill spiral, you go, oh, you know, well, I've had the burger. I might as well have the chocolate now. And then when I go home, I might as well eat more. And now you're just binge eating. Okay, whereas now you can eat the burger and you go, you know what? I stuffed up my diet and that's okay. Okay, let's get on with it. So you want to use that and that's okay. It's a really good language pattern to just stay or to get back on track really, really quickly. The next thing that you want to do, another good language pattern, is that you want to feel like the challenge is something that you're going to enjoy. So you want to set yourself up to enjoy the challenge versus feeling like it shouldn't happen. When you say, you know what, I want to lose weight and I'm really looking forward to the challenge of losing weight, or I'm really looking forward to the challenge of going to the gym, or I'm looking forward to the challenge of growing staff, what will happen now is that you see it as beneficial versus 
you know what, I've just got to grow my business. And now I've got staff that I've got to deal with and they're stuffing things up and they're making mistakes. That will throw you into a downhill spiral. So you can use staff made a mistake and that's okay. Okay, you can use that language pattern or you can go, you know what, I love this challenge. This is just another challenge that I get to face, that I get to fix. When you see things as a challenge and you talk to yourself as it's a challenge and it's challenging you, you'll be fine. When you think that it shouldn't happen or it shouldn't feel hard or it shouldn't feel tough, well, you're trying to change some behavioral patterns. So of course it's going to be tough. Of course it's going to be hard. So tool number two is to change your language. Number three is something called implementation intention. So this is what you, if you read psychology books, they'll call it implementation intention. And this is the if-then statements. So what happens, let's say you're going out to a party and you're wanting to give up alcohol and you're wanting to create this as a new habit and you're wanting to create the self-discipline. What you want to think about is what's your if-then statement? So if I have alcohol at the party, then what? Then I'll, so if I drink alcohol, then I will have water. Or if I have one vodka, lime, and soda, then I will have two glasses of water. Or if someone at the party offers me alcohol, then I will ask for sparkling water. If I feel like eating chocolate, then I will eat some grapes and do 10 push-ups and see in 60 minutes if I still feel like eating chocolate. So what it does is it helps you to set yourself up because you know that there are going to be times where these certain things are presented in front of you when you're trying to change and when you're trying to be self-disciplined. Like it might be that I want to go to bed at nine o'clock every night or 9.30 every night. Well, what happens when I can't? So what's my if then, then I'll. So if I am out late and I can't get to bed by nine o'clock, then I will wake up at 6 a.m. instead of 5 a.m. Or then I'll wake up at 7 a.m. instead of 5 a.m. So what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to make sure that you have a strategy to deal with whatever's going to come up and that it's not that big a deal. If not, you might get blindsided by it and you're not expecting it. Whereas you want to expect that if you're going to give up alcohol and you're going to go to a party, someone's going to offer you alcohol. Or if you want to give up drugs, that when you're going out to a nightclub, someone's going to offer you drugs. So what happens? If someone offers me drugs, then I will. What is it? So then you set up your then I'll and that will help you to give up these patterns or to change these patterns. So research amongst adolescents found that with implementation intentions, it improved their self-control and even amongst those who said that their willpower has been depleted. But essentially what we're talking about is decision fatigue. So when you have your implementation intention, which is your if-then statement, if you're already thinking about this, it will actually help you to stay on track than if you're burnt out and your willpower is just not there. So you've had a big day at work, you're stressed out, you're frustrated. If you already know this is going to happen, you've set up your implementation intention or your if-then statement. If you've already set that up, you know then how you're going to navigate through it versus saying, well, you know what? I'm just tired and I'm burnt out and I'm run down. That's the reason why I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do and stuff everything up. Next, we have tool number four, which is will depletion. Science calls it will depletion, but essentially we're talking about decision fatigue. So what studies have shown is that humans get fatigued from making decisions. And so studies suggest that the more decisions that you have to make within a day, or even before making a vital decision, your decision-making ability becomes compromised. So I'll tell you some of the different studies that they've done. They've done the marshmallow studies with children where they've shown that if you let kids know that they can have one marshmallow now, or you're going to go outside of the room for a couple of minutes, when you come back in after a couple of minutes, 
if the marshmallows are still there and they haven't eaten one, they get two. What they found was that kids that were able to hold out for the second marshmallow had greater willpower, even as adults. So as they grew up and they did this study over an extended period, I think it was like a 20 year period, I'll have to go back and have a look, but it was over an extended year period. They found that the kids who were able to hold themselves back and had more willpower when they were young had greater willpower as an adult. But it also showed that even those who didn't have willpower as a child could develop willpower by managing their decision fatigue. And I think we all know this because on days where we have to make a lot of decisions and you get home and your partner says to you, what do you want for dinner? And you're like, I don't fucking know. I just want to eat. And then they go, well, I don't know. I don't know what to have either. And then you're both sitting there with decision fatigue trying to make a decision. If you were smart, you would have planned that earlier. And I'll talk about that in the next tool is planning because planning reduces decision fatigue. Understand that you will wear out your decision-making ability. They also showed that people who had to make decisions before buying something would spend more when they did buy because they were already fatigued with their decisions. Please understand that however many decisions you've got to make through the day, the more that you can cut them down, the better your decision-making strategy overall. The more willpower you're going to have and the greater self-discipline. So if you're someone who has to make a shitload of decisions through the day, and now you're trying to die and you get home at nighttime and your brain starts going, you know what, I really want some chocolate, you're going to struggle to not have that chocolate unless you're using some of those other things like the if-then statements or the and that's okay statement, or you just don't have chocolate in the house and you don't have Uber Eats and you're not going to get in the car. You've got to have some other pretty good strategies to deal with the decision fatigue. If you don't make a lot of decisions throughout the day and you're pretty calm, like let's say you're on holidays and you don't have to make a lot of decisions and you don't have to decide where you want to go and you're just relaxing by the pool and the chocolate comes out, you'll probably say no. Okay, unless you convince yourself that you're on holiday and it's okay, that's a different story. But your decision-making strategy will be massively compromised by the amount of decisions you've got to make throughout the day. Now, there are some things that I want to make clear here. Decision-making is a muscle. There are a couple of ways to fatigue a muscle. You fatigue a muscle when you're not used to training it. So if you want to get a stronger decision-making muscle, you have to train it consistently. The more you can make good decisions, the more you're training yourself to make better decisions over time. And so you can create an endurance muscle of decision fatigue. So the more decisions you keep making that are beneficial to you, the better you become at making beneficial decisions. The other thing is you just don't put yourself in those situations where you've got to make decisions when you're compromised. So if you get home from work and you know that you're absolutely cooked every night after work, it's a really, really, really bad idea to do that if you're on a diet because your chances of making a poor food decision is going to be heightened or going to the gym or something like that because you're already fatigued. If you know you're already booked in with a personal trainer after work and your food's already cooked and it's sitting in the fridge, bingo. Now you've got a great result because you don't have to fight against that decision fatigue. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to tune in tomorrow for the next part of this three-part series plus our bonus Q&A. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate this podcast by clicking the stars at the top of the podcast home screen and follow to get notified of new episodes. <laughs> <laughs>